The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The following program is a PodcastOne.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzie. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. Marvelous. This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. I am Chris Jericho. Thank you so much for joining me. Another great show today featuring the second part of the amazing Edge interview so many cool stories, uh, so many uh, great conversations. Such a, such a good friend of mine, and it's very uh, it's very cool to have him on the show. It's cool to reconnect because, like I said, it is like when you when you're wrestling, it is like kind of being uh, in, in a battle, in a war, and you might not see these guys that you've been you know uh, side by side with for years and years and years, but when you finally do reconnect with them again, it's like nothing has ever changed, you know. And I had a lot of good times with Adam, a lot of bad times too. We were at each other's throats quite a bit. Very similar personalities, both al- both alpha males, both very much um, stubborn <laughs> in our ways uh, of doing things. But now that we're both, you know, came out the other side, very good friends and really, really cool guys. And it's actually a real cool guy. Cool guy. And it's funny, um, I never met Kiss. One time I've met Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons. And I went to a Kiss show back in 2003 or four in Tampa with Edge and uh, our wives, uh, his wife at the time. And I'd always wanted a picture with Paul Stanley. So right before they were going on, I happened to end up backstage. And, and I was that guy in that I was like, you know, um, hey, Paul, can I take a picture with you? Just as he's walking up stage, like their intro is, is, is pretty much almost you want the best. You've got the best intro is coming up and he's like okay I'll take a picture with you and I run over there and I'm, I'm yelling at my wife you better not screw this up you better take this picture if you if you don't get this right we're getting a divorce I need my Paul Stanley picture take the picture and when I look back on it because this is back then when you, you didn't have like a digital camera you could just look at your picture right away right you had to go and get it developed and as I get developed it's me and Paul Stanley and Edge he snuck into the photo so it was kind of like a primitive photo bomb, but not really because he wasn't trying to hide. It was just I didn't realize that he was on Paul's left shoulder and I was on Paul's right. So the only the only picture I have with Paul Stanley has Edge in it. So that if that doesn't make us friends for life, then what else does, right? Once again, I want to thank you for listening to the show and thank you for helping me build this empire known as Talk is Jericho. I want to thank you and remind you when you go to podcastone.com to listen to this show and you click on the Talk is Jericho page, you need to go click on the Amazon button. Why? Because every time you link to Amazon through this page and do some shopping, Amazon kicks a little money back to this show so that we can keep it on the air for you for free. 
It's not going to cost you more to shop. You don't have to do anything. Just push the button. No extra fees. No nothing. It's just a way we can keep things going. We can clean the carpets because they get a little grody. I can keep my chair uh, freshly um, WD-40 so it doesn't creak when I use it. Right now I'm using it. Listen. Smooth, smooth as silk. You know why? Because I used WB40 that I got from the expenses that I was able to take care of from you clicking on the Amazon button. Click on it. Anytime you need to buy something online, whatever you want to buy, you bookmark it too. Just go to podcastone.com, click on Talk is Jericho, then hit the Amazon button. It's right there. It'll help me help you to help yourselves with the wonderful cornucopia known as Talk is Jericho. Edge will be on. Coming up very, very quickly. Always loved working with him. It was always a, a really cool um, tete-a-tete, I think is the word, as far as just trying to get things working to, to have both of us on the same page, putting together these amazing matches that we used to do. And I always looked forward to it because I knew he would push me to my best. We worked against each other at WrestleMania 27, I believe it was. Had a really killer match. Had a great angle that we did based around DNA because Vince McMahon was telling me that. Um, you know, Edge got hurt quite a bit and he wanted me to, to focus in on his, his weak DNA, <laughs> the ultimate Vince McMahon insult. You've got weak DNA. So there. So I hit him with the weak DNA, baby. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Edge currently stars on the sci-fi channel show Haven. He's been waiting on the line for a whole week with the phone to his ear. It's been a long, long, long week. We got Edge back here with us again. Thank you so much, my friend, for uh, for joining us again this week on Talk Is Jericho. Thanks for having me again. I didn't actually eat this week either. I just sat here. Just well, yes, yeah, sitting right there. You're you're very cramped up. Uh, you've got a lot. You, I mean, you should have a lot of time to think about what you're going to say, which is good. Yeah, and I got nothing. <laughs> I made it to the WWE. End of story. The end. <laughs> Bye. We, we, last week we were talking about all the trials and tribulations you went through to, to finally make it to the WWE, uh, and then finally they put you on a, a small stipend, really, to to, to make it back. Uh, to them when they were ready for you. You went and worked around, got some more experience, and then finally they give you the call. We want you to be part of the show. What was the original idea for, for the gimmick for you? Was it always Edge? Was that always the name they came up with, or was that something that you came up with? No, actually. Um, they, they gave me a call, and um, they uh, started bringing me in for, for darts. So... Mm. You know, before they go live, you know, for those that don't know, it's like they, they have a non-tape match. They tape it, but it was strictly for company purposes. So I would end up wrestling like Sal Sincere or, um, you know, uh, just Mark Merrill or, you know, Buddy Landell one night. Mm-hmm. Like, just you name it, and I would kind of work them. And it was experience for me, and I was just working as Adam Copeland. So... I had really wrapped my mind around the idea that, cool, I'm just going to get to be Adam Copeland at some point, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, they did, they called it a Funkin' Dojo, and Dory Funk was having, like, this kind of training camp um, in WWE Studios in Stanford. 
and it was for guys that were on the roster that needed kind of some, just needed polished, and for guys that they hadn't signed yet but were interested in, or for guys like me who were signed that didn't totally know what they had. Mm-hmm. So um, that first camp, it was like, it was me, it was Sean Morley who became Val Venus, it was Kirkin, it was Mark Henry again, it was draws. It was uh, A-Train slash Albert slash Tenzai. He's had. Yeah, Tenzai. There mm-hmm. we go. Matt Bloom. Um, and it was uh, Takamishi Moku, and it was Mark Merrill, and it was um, Ahmed Johnson, and uh, just a lot of guys in this thing. A lot of pretty big-name guys. Yeah, some big-name guys, but but that needed, needed work. Mm-hmm. You know, I, once again, just got shoved too quick, or with Taka due to language barrier, it was just things like that. So, right. you know, I surveyed it pretty quickly and I was like, okay, Morley and Taka. All right. We're, we're the three here. That, that's, that was kind of, and, and I thought, okay, I got to try and blow everybody out of the water here. That was my goal right from, from jump. I was like, I'm not going to leave any doubt and I'm going to force them, you know, from these dark matches and the experience that I've gained and, and all of those things. Like I just got to, I just got to blow everybody out of the water. And I knew that, that Sean was going to do that, too, because Sean and I had done some, some indies in and around Canada together, and then he'd gone to Mexico and Puerto Rico, so he was getting seasoned. And pretty quickly, you know, they put him and I together as a team, and they put us in against, uh, you know, Ahmed and Tiger Ali Singh. And they put us in with guys that you wouldn't necessarily think that maybe you could have a good tag match with. Right. And and we'd pull a little bit of something out of there, and that's I mean those guys had something to do with it too. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. you can only be led so far. But um, and then pretty quickly after that, they pulled us aside and said, "Okay, well, we're thinking of making you guys the new Midnight Express." Oh my gosh! Yeah. Wow. We're we're, we're thinking that it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh man, I remember I, I just went, "Oh no!" Anything new? Like yes. New New Midnight Express. New Blackjacks. New, new Blackjacks. The new Ding Dongs. The new, you know, whatever <laughs> it is. It, it's not going to work. It's it's doomed to failure right away. And uh, I remember they were like, yeah, we we're thinking Adorable Adam and Sensual Sean. Oh, my way. <laughs> and I just, I was like, in, what are you going to say? I'm right. not going to say, no, no, no. That, that's brutal. That is a horrible idea. I, I'm, you know, and I know Sean kind of felt the same way. We we just kind of like, mm, yeah, okay, well, yeah. And then, you know, we're like, oh man, this is not good. But we, well, we'll just make it work. We'll we'll just be a kick-ass tag team. Like, no matter what they call us or whatever, they, you know, we'll just we'll just do good with this. Mm-hmm. And um, and then what they had done is they'd pull us in for interviews, um, but just just. You know, sitting down, talking to Vince Russo. Vince Russo, yeah, I guess he was the head writer at that point, and he would just sit down and talk with us, but they'd tape it to get a sense of, of what you Dude. were kind of like as a person and maybe oh, I see. characters from there. Right. Um, from that, you know, Sean got repackaged as Valvinus. And then from that, they said, well, we want you to be this uh, this enigma. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, kind of like um, like Jim Morrison would be. I was like, oh, okay. Um, how so? What mm-hmm. What do you want me to do? Like, wander down the the ramp and you know a drunken stupor? Like, <laughs> what, what What exactly does this mean? Well, we want you to to uh, recite poetry. 
and, wow. and wear leather pants and like kind of silk shirts unbuttoned with chains and stuff. And I'm like, man, that, that doesn't sound like Morrison and other pants. <laughs> chains, like yeah. Weird kind of Saturday night fever. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't, I can't really bite into that. And they drew a picture and creative some of this picture, and I had green hair with these two yellow strips in the front. And it honestly looked like Jeff Hardy. Okay. About, they wanted, they wanted know, a freak, some kind of a freak. Yeah, yeah. Right. And and Jeff would have been able to take this picture and this idea and run with it, but it mm-hmm. wasn't me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, well, I'm not going to say no. I just got to figure out what this is, and hopefully I can figure it out while I'm doing it. And then after, we, we're, we're shooting these uh, vignettes. What was the name, name going to be? That wasn't even solidified yet. Okay. They had Rage and they had Riot. Okay. And I was driving through Albany after doing a dark match, and I was, there, was a, there was a radio station, Edge 10-something. I was like, Edge, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if I thought more about it, I would have gone something with more syllables, because you just can't chant, chant Edge. Did it bother you, too, that, of course, there's a famous Edge from you, too? Yeah, well, it, it didn't at the time. I was like, ah, you know, it... it I, yeah, there's too, sting. There's two stings. It too, yeah, and that was kind of the mentality. And I was like, I was throwing around names. I was like, maybe Offspring, maybe... And I was trying to go in this musical realm, but there right. just wasn't anything that was jumping out. So I thought, Edge, uh. mm-hmm. and, and that was really all that went into it. And they, they, they went, okay, cool, Edge it is. Okay, well... I, and I didn't put any more thought into it. I wish I had. I wish I'd... Like I said, come up with, you know, <laughs> Austin, Rocky, right. you know, R.D. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't do that with Edge. Mm-hmm. But, so then, uh, you know, I went down, I did these these poetry readings in the studio in New York, and it was just, it was brutal. I was like, it was these, I mean, it was just, I didn't get it. I was like, man, I'm just standing here reciting poetry. Like, I don't even know what any of this means. You weren't feeling and it. I wasn't feeling yeah. it at all. And, and from that... Um, I was later told that, that Russo wanted to write me as a deaf mute because he didn't think I could talk. <laughs> Isn't that I'm great? Like, <laughs> a deaf <yeah>. mute. <laughs> well, it, and it, it was his idea. So obviously he didn't think I liked his idea. So, you know, I'll screw with this kid. And, wow. and I mean, think about it. Deaf mute, you're dead in the water. Well, and the thing like, is, too, it's like because and I, I, it makes me laugh so many times when you hear that the, you know, quote unquote experts thought that somebody couldn't talk. Yeah. You know, I, I had that moniker, you had it, uh, mm-hmm. rock had it, you know, and then you get these guys that are you know, Mick Foley that end up being some of the greatest talkers of all time. Well, and, and it's truly just being given a chance to be you, right? A portion of you and learning how to take that portion of you and, and just turn up the volume. Yeah. Find, find out who you are and what your character is and have that confidence. Like you said, and just go out there and just do it, which is funny. Yeah, it was, you know, I went from a deaf mute to, you know, uh, not even three years later, Jay and I doing five-second poses. Right. And, you know, uh, talking for yes. like 10-minute promos. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so it, it it was a pretty crazy, amazing, tumultuous time. It was so much was up in the air. I was brand new. I was trying to figure out how this whole thing worked, let alone a character, you right. know, and, well, and I always thought getting there would be the hard part, but it wasn't, it was, oh, it was surviving there and getting to the top. That's why I wrote 
two books. The first one was like like our conversation. My first book was like our first conversation last week. The story of getting there, and then once you finally get there, you realize that you're in more trouble than you ever were before you you got there. It's like you just oh, yeah. you're starting completely all over again. Getting there is just getting in the pool. Right. And then once you get there, now you're in the deep end, and you better figure out how to swim or at least tread water long enough until you learn how to swim. That's exactly right. Did you feel weird? Um, I know fairly quickly that you were, you were put in with the brood, which was basically a vehicle to get Gangrel over it, it would seem, because he was kind of the leader. And so you came in kind of as a single guy, but then pretty early on you just became part of a, of a gang. Was that was that kind of something interesting for you that, to, to accept? I, I knew it was not a demotion, but I knew it was, okay, he's not ready for where we want him to be right now. Right, which, and, which in all fairness, you probably weren't. Totally fair. Right. I wasn't. You know, I didn't have the confidence yet. I didn't know what the character was. So when I was in doubt, I'd just scream. And it was awkward and it was forced, and mm-hmm. you could tell. Um, you know, I was told a lot of the things to do. I was told, you're going to be coming through the crowd. I was told, this is going to be your music. I was told, you know, um, we, we'd like you to wear this kind of stuff. And I took that and kind of morphed it because they wanted me in pants and stuff. I was like, I'm going to wear tights. That's what wrestlers wear. Yeah. But, but I didn't know how to speak up or to convey my ideas. I didn't know how all of that worked. So it was like, you're going to be in the brood. I was like, oh, well, hey, I'm, I'm in it with, with Jay, number one. I'm in it with my best friend. Right. And I'm in it with a, a seasoned guy. Like, I've, I've watched him work as one of the black cards out in Stampede. Yeah. He's been around. So he can lead us through these waters. And that's really how I looked at it. It was like, okay, well, Dave Gangrel knows all of these guys. Mm-hmm. So, if anything, we we got somebody kind of watching our back. Good and, point. And they, yeah, and you almost you get know, you almost get as long as you guys minded your p's and q's because Dave was a respected utility guy, shall we say? You know, you're not going to get heat just by being on your own because at least you were uh, kind of uh, together with him. Exactly, and also you know Dave would say, "Yeah, be careful here," or you know, "Be careful with this guy," or yeah. or if you did say something, he'd always call Jay the squeaky wheel, mm. and. Uh, you know, because Jay, Jay would speak up if he felt something. And, you know, not that I, I didn't, but I would just learn. I learned pretty quickly, smile. Even if you don't agree, you can make it work. Right. At, at least at that point in my career. And and that was kind of the mentality I took. But Dave would, you know, kind of pull us aside and just say, you know, be careful. And that was good to have. And And I do think it was a vehicle for him, but I think... Some of it was also, if we put these guys with him, they can learn. Uh, yeah, of course. And also get you guys more over, too, and give you a distinguished character. It was, that was probably still one of my favorite ring entrances of all time. It was such a great spectacle. There was so much of it that was cool. It was current because the whole golf thing was kind of just starting to take off. Yeah. And I've always found, too, that the characters that I've done that work best are when I can relate it to something musical or, or a character from a movie. Mm-hmm. And... For me, it was when the, the Blade movies came out, but I always pictured us as Lost Boys. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's exactly what it was. You know, Kiefer Sutherland, and I think Alex Winter was one of them, but just <laughs> Alex Winter, like I always said, Jay and I were Bill and Ted's, and we're Lost Boys, so I guess Alex Winter kind of plays a part of my career. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's how I always kind of 
looked at it. I was like, this is cool. It's an amazing entrance. And I could tell immediately that people felt it. Yeah, because well, like you said, it was cool, especially the bloodbaths and the look of, of the three of you guys. Um, when was it that you kind of started breaking away? Did you guys break away as a team, you and Christian? Is that kind of how that became? Uh, to... it, it kind of, it was stop and starts. They put me in a singles program while I was in the brood, just, just short, little things like that. I always think it was, I think they always had a plan for me, but it was a little at a time. Mm-hmm. And it, finally, um, you know, there was a, uh, they, 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 they did, they split us apart. And then from there we had, you know, the ladder match with the heart. That was kind of the real breakthrough, right? The, the ladder match with you two guys. And it led to, was that the best of seven? Yes. Right. And we still hadn't cut a promo by that point. I think we cut one promo and I was the only one that talked in it. Every gangrel talked to, mm-hmm. but we, we, we had one promo and, I didn't entirely stink up the joint. It got a reaction. I remember Mick saying, he goes, that's when we knew we had somebody, you know, right. because you put homo and, and the people reacted. But from there, we still, you know, it was Edge and Christian. We broke off and we, we started doing the tag thing, but we were just kind of, you know, baby faces. We still didn't talk really. We didn't, you know, we were just kind of there. We, we could be counted on to have good matches, yeah. high flying. Hell of a hand. Stuff. But yeah. That, that's exactly what we were. And then they had told us that at WrestleMania 16, they were going to break us apart. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, um, we're both going to go singles. And we, we both said, but we haven't scratched the surface of what we can do as a team. Like, you haven't let us talk. Mm-hmm. And by that point, Brian Gortz was with the company. and As a writer. Yeah. And, and he knew our sense of humor because... You know, we'd always goof off and, like, joke around and stuff. So they let us do commentary leading into what was the triple threat tag team match with the Dudleys and the Hardys at WrestleMania 16. And we had batted around some ideas with Brian. And we went out and did commentary. And we we were pretty much just ourselves, just a little goofier. And, and I think that's when we started saying, we're, no, we're going to do a run-in and we're going to do all of these things. A week later, they said, we're putting the titles on you. And that was when we took off, and we we had that run kind of as the the top heel team in the company. How did the uh, five second pose come come to be? It was. I remember we're all sitting there just brainstorming and and throwing around ideas, and the genesis of it was. I, I remember I was really adamant. I was like, we shouldn't come through the crowd anymore. We we, you know. We don't want to be of the people anymore. We think we're better than the people. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want to be touched by them. And then I think it was Brian said, yeah, and you could, like, for, for their benefit, pose for them. <laughs> and then it just, we're like, oh, and then it started spitballing. And then it became, like, whatever town we were in, we would make it relevant to something that had just happened. And, you know, as much as people were supposed to hate us, they knew that, okay, we're going to bust on the Red Wings. You know, and, and right. they knew they were in on it. Well, it was, it, it was the typical thing. You guys were so entertaining that even though people hated you, other people that weren't in the house that night would be watching on TV going, these guys are hilarious. We love them. Well, and, and if nothing else, they were going to watch. They, yeah. They, yeah. Watch. they knew it was going to be fun. And and we always figured, well, with our work, we can get them to hate it. Is, is there one of them that stands out to you, one of the five-second poses, that there are a couple of them that stand out as your favorites? There's, there's a few. I, like I said, the Red Wings. 
Wings one, I remember, you know, Jay was wearing a mask and I had the trench coat on, which was great to cover up, you know, the opposing team jerseys. And no matter what, they would always cheer, come out in Red Wings, and they'd be like, yeah, all right. And then I'd, you know, open the trench coat and there's the Avalanche jersey. You know, and, and I'd take the slap shot. Jay's got a goalie mask on with, with his legs and a hockey jersey on. So there's that visual. Right. Flamingo. Yeah, <laughs> ridiculous. And he, he'd look between his legs, and then I'd you know jump up and down, and there's our pose, and we'd hold it. Um, that one, the jug band one, was good uh, in Kentucky. We had Kurt in on that one with us. That was um, great. The bad teeth. A lot of fun. The Elvis um, one was good with the big Elvis fat suits. I think that one was my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> I think that one was because it was just so utterly ridiculous. It was like getting in the ring, the, the suits were too big, so we had to, like, I mean, it was just it was so stupid, but so much fun. Like, you're, I'm wearing these floods, these bell-bottom belt, unitard that are, like, up to my knees because, you know, it's so fat that, you know, it's somebody that's 5'2". And it, you, you just, you're gyrating like Elvis in Memphis. And, Big know, pompadours. <laughs> pompadours, the shades, everything. And, and you're doing it with your best friend too, right? That's that you that you dreamed being in the WWE together, and now here you are. And I think that's what people connected to. They understood that we were actually, you know, we're supposed to be brothers. Yes, and I think the reason they thought that we we're brothers is because we act like brothers and we are best friends. So you see us being that way, and you're like, yeah, they they know each other. They're best friends. They're brothers. Best friends, brothers, absolutely great chemistry. Also, too, we talked about very funny. But it seemed there was a lot of a lot of rivalries with the Hardys, with the Dudleys, I mean, even even with myself and Benoit when we were a team, and that seemed like it always culminated in high intensity ladder match, TLC match. I, if I remember, serves right, you guys did the first ever TLC match. Did you feel that they kind of maybe prostituted you guys in those type of matches a little bit because you were so good at them? I don't think anybody knew until we had that first ladder match with Hardys, um, we didn't know. We, we all knew that we would, were thinking outside the box, but until you share that reaction when, when you do a neck breaker off the ladder right. and realize, wait, that hasn't been done before. Like, we, we really, Sean and Razor had their thing, but we had four guys and then six guys to be able to, to paint right. and, and fill up this canvas. I mean, the sky was the limit. And I I think I remember that night in Cleveland. Just I, it just felt different, man. It was like you could feel that that it was a tsunami building. It really was. It was like, oh man, we are onto something that I don't know if this kind of stuff's ever been done. Mm-hmm. And and you don't fully realize it until after, like what the landscape was at that point and what had been done to that point. It was like, holy crap, we just did some crazy stuff. And then it becomes yes well, maybe you can do it every other pay-per-view. Right. Or, or you know, uh, you know, how much of a tornado through a trailer park can you get in in 18 minutes? Um, and yeah. We would, and, and see how much we could do in 18 minutes with six of us. I remember the you know? one time, um, I think it was the night after Triple H tore his quad, and they had to completely rewrite SmackDown, and it was, I think we showed up at the airport in Anaheim at um, noon, Show starts at five, and it's like, oh, you guys are having a, a, a TLC on TV with, you know, was it us, Hardys, you guys? Just kind of threw it together because, well, that'll get a rating. Go, guys. You know, with no preparation whatsoever. 
Yeah, none at all. And and you know, one of the great parts about it is well, there's eight of us, and yeah. there's eight of us that will do anything to make this thing amazing. Right. And so you get that mindset and mentality in it, and it is fun. It's you really feel like this 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 chemistry teacher, like the, the just kind of placing all of these bits and pieces, and then you have all these other minds putting all of this together. It's like, oh man, this is going to be insane. Mm-hmm. The danger is once you do it once. <laughs> you know, it, it it becomes it's you know a pay per view, right? And and then it gets kind of watered down, and um, it, it just doesn't seem quite as special as it used to, and takes a toll. You know, I def I know that's where all of my stuff started. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, like you said, you're talking about neck breaker off the top. I remember the one that that I don't remember what the situation, which match it was, but it, the idea was that. I was going to be on a ladder and you were going to spear me from the top rope or something like that. And I was, I was, I couldn't visualize it in my head of, of, of how can I do that without getting hurt? And I know you guys did that quite often. And for, like, I just, you guys took such a, a physical toll with all the revolutionary things that no one had ever done before. Well, it's, it, you know, we were, we really did. We set the bar too high, but it was at a time where we thought, we we got to get noticed. Austin is firing on all cylinders. Rock is yeah. just starting to fire. Okay, if we want to get noticed, there's a lot of eyeballs on this now. How how can we? You know, we aren't. I'm not getting a mic every week, so ah, but I can do a spear off a ladder. And, yeah. and you truly don't understand that when you're 40, how that spear off of a ladder is going to mm-hmm. feel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you're still feeling it. <laughs> 15 years down the road, you don't think about that. You're indestructible. And I remember Austin saying to me, he goes, man, kid, you guys got to be careful out there. And and I, I always did listen to the advice that he had, but that was one of those where I was like, yeah, but I got to do it. Yeah, but and plus, I mean, we used to get that too at any level. And you're always thinking, and not that it was any disrespect. We're like, well, you know, this is just what we do. And don't worry about it, buddy. We're, we're, we'll be fine. But then well, suddenly... Exactly. But then suddenly Steve probably told you that because he had to have that serious neck surgery. And suddenly here you are. And this was very early on into that ascension. I believe it was probably 2002 or three where you had to go for the exact same surgery. Correct? Yeah. And that was just it. Like Steve was probably starting to feel that stuff. So he was he was speaking from experience. Right. And then, you know, just as I was really starting to hit a groove in a singles capacity, bam, you need Spinal fusion. I was like, whoa. Okay. When was that? 2002? Yeah, that was 2002. Man, yeah. So, I mean, that's, and that's spinal fusion, which I think there's probably other operations that are probably much more modern now at this point in time. Yeah, at that point, it was like, I was 29. And I'm, I'm 29, and they're saying, you may need a triple fusion. If you wow. need a triple fusion, you're done. You'll never work and- again. Yeah, and I remember driving away from the doctors, driving home, and they put the fear of God in. Like, if I get hit from behind, I could be paralyzed, yeah. like that kind of thing. And I'm I'm driving from, from Sarasota back to Land O'Lakes going, oh, man, uh, not only, you know, who cares about getting hit from behind? My career's done possibly? Like, what? Yeah, exactly. I just did a cage match with Angle. What do you, what do you, we right. tore the house? What, what? And, you know, it, uh, you know, it was a pretty harsh, sobering reality. Now, eventually we found out, okay, we can get by on, on two levels. You have damage to the third, though. Going mm-hmm. forward, uh, just know that. 
And right. you know, at that point, I was like, ah, you know, I was I was chewing concrete. I was like, okay, I'm just going to get back. That's all. I'm going to get back. Um, that was the mindset, and and I did. Um, but then coming back and you know working nine more years after that or whatever it was on top of that fusion, it eventually it just it caught up to me. So when did you kind of really, what was the catalyst for you? And obviously you had a successful career the entire time you were in the WWE, but you became one of the biggest stars in the company, one of the biggest stars in, in basically the history of the biz, or at least of that era, as a legitimate multiple, was it six-time world champion, ten-time world champion? Do you even know? I think it's 11, but there were so many of those. Sure, like, but it's you know, it's world champion, whatever one it is. Yeah, what, exactly. what was the final straw, do you feel, that you finally were able to break through to become the champion? Being given the chance. Yeah. And and, and honestly, you know, at, at that point in my career, I really did take this me-against-the-world mentality. You know, through through, you know, just stupid decisions in life. You know, I found myself in this position where I was like, okay... Uh, you know, I felt like everybody hated me. The audience hated me. All of these things, which you know, I brought on myself, just from you know, you, you fall flat in your face when you're yeah, growing up, right? And so, I really just I took that feeling and I and I turned it into the character. I, I fed it into the character, and I thought, okay, I'm going to be the most hated person in this industry. Mm-hmm. I'm going to accept it, and I'm going to run with it. And that's really when everything turned because now my promos were coming from a place of reality. Uh, I was able to, and I remember Michael Hayes telling me this, he goes, a heel has to believe what he's saying mm. in order for those people to hate him. It's a very, very good point. Very interesting. And and like I said, it's something that I experienced in 08 when I turned, when you start uh, believing what you're saying, like you said, using this, I don't know, it's the hatred or the bad feelings or the, 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 conflicts that you're having inside and when it's it's we went back to this earlier about dropping in as a performer as an actor they call it method acting but that's basically what i think what you did and i know i did and that's what we're able to take you to the next place i I dropped in every promo i had after that every time i set up for the spear after that i dropped in Mm. you can see it too I, i i know exactly what you're talking about yep every time i did any time that i set up and started pulling my hair i was somewhere else like i was in that zone of you know just kind of hating the world (laughs) and that's just where i needed to get to at least to convey that in in order for the promos to to actually be believable instead of just like reciting something that i'd written in the back Mm -hmm. you felt it you were it yeah and i wasn't worried about what the next line was or anything i was just like spinning it out as it fell out of my face And because of and because of real emotions, it, it worked. And that's also too where where the lines of reality can get blurred too for people. Because mm-hmm. when you do start biting into those things that feel so real and come across as real, people buy everything. The longest field goal ever attempted is seventy six yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also seventy six yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk is Jericho. Welcome back to Talk is Jericho. We're having a great conversation here with Edge. 
multiple-time world champion, talking about how you feel when you really drop into something as a character, not just in the WWE, but but in, in, in a movie and television, where you really make people believe that what you're doing is legit. Uh, you you wanted people to hate you more than anybody else in the WWE universe, and you succeeded by by like we talked about dropping into this. Yeah, you know it's it's always one of those things. It's like there there's always a set of scenarios and things happen. And okay, well, how do you do you take these things and 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 turn them around or or make them work for you or turn them to your advantage? Um, and and I really do think believing it yourself is the first step to making your audience believe. Mm -hmm. Was the first time you were champion, was that from the Money in the Bank match that we had that you won and then went on to cash it in? Was that the first time you were the champion? The first time, and that I I remember the Money in the Bank, I didn't want anything to do with. That's that's right. I I remember that the, the, the first, this was for a WrestleMania, I believe it was 20, and the idea that they had was Jericho versus Edge versus Benoit in a three-way submission match. And I don't have a submission. Yes, you don't have a submission. And I and, and also how the hell would you do that? Like a three-way, it just yeah. it just reeked of like we've got nothing for these guys to do. So why don't we just put them together? And then there was a couple other guys that didn't have anything else to do and I think it was Gortzai that came up with the initial idea. And I remember either he told you about it or I did and you didn't want to do it. You didn't like the idea. I don't want to do yeah. another ladder match or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, I was like I don't want to be in a ladder match. Just don't put me in it. And I remember going as far as saying, don't put me on Mania. I'll, I'll, I'll get back to it. I'll make sure that I'm on it next year. But if that's what you got, don't put me in it. And and I remember like you and and Glenn and and Kane and uh, Chris and, and Jay like kind of saying, oh, this could be cool. And it really took some – it was one yeah. of those instances where I was so far off the mark. Well, I mean, I, I remember even I don't know if I ever actually said it, but thinking to myself, like, you know, shut up, dummy, you're gonna you're gonna win this thing. Just be quiet, you know. But I mean that's and then we like you said, it's funny because I was talking to to Steve Austin about this a couple of weeks ago. You felt it, I felt it. Sometimes when you get so I don't even know what the word is, but you can't see the forest through the trees yeah. sometimes. I'm the same. Yeah. I mean when you get an idea in your head, it's like I will be the most stubborn son of a bitch ever. I don't, I don't care. Like you said, take me off. I'm done. And it's from a point of caring or, yeah. or maybe caring too much in a way, too. It's like not being able to kind of separate yourself from seeing what could be this opportunity and this amazing thing because it wasn't your idea. Right. Or because you didn't think of it or because, like, I don't get it because it wasn't my idea. I, I don't even understand this. I remember not. you and I at SummerSlam uh, when we had the seven on seven with the NXT with Nexus. It was WWE team versus team Nexus. And the finish, it was an elimination tag, and the finish boiled down to you and me were in there, but it was Cena against a couple of them, and John wanted to do things a certain way, and we told him, you're wrong. Remember that? And he did it anyways, and it sucked. And then afterwards, he came over to us and said, I should have listened to you, but I wasn't, I wasn't seeing it that way. And sometimes yeah, and you just don't see it that way, you know? One of those things, and sometimes you need to come to bed in order to go, oh. Yes, Exactly, and and that was one of those deals where he did he was adamant to what he wanted to do, and and I remember I was like, fine, I'm out of the match by that. Point. Yeah, exactly. He was he wanted to, what he he wanted to DDT, get DDT'd on the floor by Barrett, then yeah. kick out and then beat them both. And you and I were like, that's the dumbest thing. Like, that's just throwing it away for no reason. And anyways, well, especially when I thought they should have gone over because they were so high. I I remember we were fighting for Barrett to go over. I agree. And and all in all fairness. 
where's Wade Barrett now? We should they should have listened to us, you know. It, yeah, that was one of those instances where I think we're actually right, you know, and and I think there was a lot of those, but I, that was one especially where I was like, oh, and I really did. I, I just went, eh, I'm gone by that point. Fine, do what you got to do. Well, and there's also a lot of people that that felt the same way about you being the champion for the first time. I, I don't know if it ever was at the time, but I know I felt it the first time I won the title. I always hear little rumors that oh, so and so was bearing you, or this guy didn't like you, or this guy never thought you should be the champion. I know you had the same thing when you first won as well. Yeah, we we both went through similar things. You know, it uh, yeah, it, it's it's one of those things where if Someone in a position of authority doesn't see it or is threatened by you or, or whatever it is, then uh, they can plant that seed of doubt. Or it's a political thing, and then everybody just hops on and agrees, whether they agree or not. So what was your mindset? I'm sure you heard it when you first won the title. Uh, yeah. How were you going to get over that and prove them all wrong and shove it down their throat? I had Vince on my side. Ah, well, that's all you need. <laughs> this was the only guy who believed that I took breakthrough with it. And he was only going to give me a little little morsel or a little, a little chink in that armor to see if I could. But I knew that's all I needed. I, I knew if you gave me that, that shot on the arm that I would take it and steamroll it eventually. You know, you could, mm-hmm. you could try and press it down again, but eventually I'm going to do it. I'm going to slip through the cracks. And, uh, I went to him the week before that New Year's Revolution. I said, hey, Vince, I got an idea here. I'm a heel. I'm, I'm probably the most despised guy in the company. If I cash this thing in after I've held it for 10 months or whatever, in a straight-up match, that's really stupid on my part as a character. Right. If you want me you know, to be reviled, to be this evil character, I should really, I can cash it in whenever. Why wouldn't I do it at the end of the Elimination Chamber? Hmm. And I, I saw that kind of like ding go off in his head, but I didn't think anything of it. And I, I wasn't pitching it thinking that I would go over. I just pitched it thinking, okay, it'll it'll get good heat and it'll be an interesting little piece of business. Week later, um, you know, I get there and it was all hush-hush and everything. <laughs> and Vince said, prove me right. And I thought, okay, will do. And he actually said it. You can see when I hand that briefcase over to him, he goes, prove me right. Uh. And, and he, he was the only one in my corner. And I went, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And you're going to give me three weeks. In those three weeks, I'm going to try and do everything I can to make them change their mind. And, you know, 25 million hits or whatever it was on WWE.com the night I won the title. And, you know, big ratings. And, and it started, it was just different. And people had seen this character who they'd seen for almost a decade kind of, you know, just keep chugging through and come back from injuries and kind of, you know, prove some stuff. Well, and it was, it was a new, it was a new character too. There was a lot of stagnant, uh, matches at that point in time when you came through like a fresh, a breath of fresh air. But another thing that you did that was very good all the time and, and, and the best can do this is you were always morphing your character and tweaking it, not changing it, but adding to it. Yeah, and getting rid of the stuff that didn't work and adding more to what did work. And then I think, you know, this is kind of where the whole rated R superstar evolution happened of you just really embracing, like you said, of what you were doing as far as being the most hated man in the company, but almost having like a real, almost, I don't know if a slimy side to it or something. It was just like, a, like, like, like you and Lita having a live sex thing. Like, it's just like, who would do that? Like, what a, what a scumbag. You know what I mean? 
Well, and that was it. It was really just like, okay, in this position, you just got to em- embrace it and go full out with it. And, right. And, yeah, the slimy, just gross character. <laughs> and, and, and kind of revel in it. In reveling in it, people are just going to despise you for it. Yeah. You know? And and then, you know, I, I remember just thinking, okay, well, ah, great. This is it's validating this. Okay, it, it, things are going pretty good here in, in this three weeks. And I remember thinking, you got to change their mind. Cena's actually getting cheered now. Mm, right. And that hasn't happened. And I know that's what they want. And that's what they're trying to force, you know, in. But it's just not working because he's getting, you know, out-wrestled by Kurt or whatever. And I... I I actually remember, you know, some of the first times working John, and he had just come off working Kurt. And I remember watching those matches, and I was like, oh, this isn't doing John any favors. And, um, yeah, I mean, there, there was a few guys that, that would work with him and realize, you know, uh, just trying to, to work to his strengths. And, and, okay, they want him to be a baby face. Let's put this together so he looks like a baby face. Mm-hmm. And, um I just remember thinking, like, oh, man, they're reacting to him the way they want to. Maybe they, they should run with this to Mania, and I drop it there. And, uh, you know, of course, hey, I like I like this position. Cool, let, let's run with this. And, and that wasn't in the plans. They already had it, you know, in place. And I, I always thought, well, it doesn't have to be in place. You change your mind all the time. Just right. Work. Let's, let's go with it. And, and you know, that that's powers that are in meetings that you're not involved in. Yeah, it's probably a lot of the stuff we talked about earlier where there's other people going, listen, we got to stick to the plan. Meanwhile, if they wanted to change it, they would change it in a second. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So I thought, okay, well, then I'll get a chance again at some point. Mick and I are going to wrestle at WrestleMania. I think it was 22. Fine. I'm going to dive into a flaming table. I'll show you. <laughs> and that was, that was really my mindset. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to show you that I should be there. And and that was kind of how I uh, just kind of had a chip on my shoulder, and I just I went with it. See, but you have to. I say that all the time. I said it on you know on the Austin DVD. If you want to make it in this business, you have to be a little bit of an asshole. You have to have that chip on your shoulder. And all of us that ever made it to that level had it, and all of us that didn't don't, or they're too scared to have it. You have to have it in, in this business when when it's all based around the whims of basically one guy. Sometimes you got to let him know that he's in that he's wrong. And, and it, it's, it's business. It is, it, it is right. just that business. You know, when, when we leave the arena or whatever, I'll be the nicest guy in the world. We can sit there and, you know, yeah. shoot it about cheap trick. Great. Right. But <laughs> if, if we have a disagreement and it's about business, it's number one, because we both care. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we're you got to be a, a little bit of an asshole. You do, especially if you truly believe something, too. Yeah, you got to stand up for yourself, you know. And you know, it's interesting. You talked about working with with Cena and, and working with Mick, and I think my favorite Edge program ever, uh, and the reason why I know a lot of exactly what happened was it was Edge and Undertaker. And the reason why I mentioned that is because you guys were doing that on SmackDown at the same time as Sean and I were doing it on Raw. And I yep. think those are two of the best programs from start to finish of all time that were happening at the same time on two different shows. And I think the WWE as a company has almost forgotten that. Uh, I even suggest you guys need to do a DVD with the entire Taker Edge thing on one and the entire Michaels Jericho on the other. And just release it so that anybody that ever wants to do anything in wrestling watch these two feuds and see how it's done. Well, it, it's interesting because they're both kind of a throwback to the Savage Steamboat style where it didn't just 
blow off in, in two months. And right. at that time, that's kind of how everything was based. The advent of more TV and pay-per-views every month and all of those things, things get chewed through a lot quicker. You rush um, due, due to whether it was an injury or Taker had to get surgery and then, you know, or, or you know, Sean with the eye that being part of the angle, yeah. I was able to, to elongate it. And I, I think because they were happening at the same time, not that they canceled each other out, but almost people, because right. there was these two awesome things happening in these long stories, it's like if they had happened at separate times throughout you know, the, the course of, of the history of the company, you'd go, whoa, man. And yeah. you still, I think you still do, but they were happening at the same time. Like, How rare is that, right? Yeah, you would be working, Sean, I'd be working tape on the same pay-per-view. It's one of the reasons why ours actually benefited from yours, because yours was going so good, and you guys had, I believe it was a hell in the cell at SummerSlam, yeah. and Vince wanted us to have our blow-off there, and Sean was adamant that no, because it's just going to get lost in the shuffle, and that's where we did the thing where I ended up punching his wife, because he was going to announce his retirement. So it's almost like our stories were helping each other because if not, it would have ended even quicker. At least in our case, it would have, because your guys was so going so good. We had to kind of take back seat at SummerSlam to, to not get lost. Well, yeah. And, and ours blows off and then yours ratchets up, it ratchets up yeah. the other left, you know? So, so tell and, me, and, tell me about some of the, some of the great feuds that you have off the top of your head. Which ones do you like? Who were some of your favorite opponents that you love to work with? I mean, t- Taker was amazing. You know, the very first time him and I worked a singles match, it was in Chile. And it was like, I don't know, I think it was a month before Mania, where we we ended up, you know, main eventing Mania 24. We had never worked a singles. Wow. That was our second singles match together. The, the, the Mania match was your second singles match? Yeah. And that's pretty cool, main eventing WrestleMania with The Undertaker. That's got to be up there on the list of yeah, things I you've mean, done. It, it, it's, it's definitely my coolest moment where it was just like, <laughs> I couldn't feel my hands. It was just like, you know, it was part of Ricky Bobby. Like, I don't know what to do with my hands. I can't feel them because I'm so psyched that like (laughs) just so many things, like the culmination of everything, a validation of everything. I like, Oh, I did it. You know, right. 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 And you're doing it against taker. So, you know, we had that one match and it was in Chile and we went like 45 minutes because we wanted to see where we were together. Right. And, uh, you know, we, we got to the back, and it was still, it, it, I mean, if not the coolest, it's, it's. I mean, he said, man, you, Sean, and Brett. Wow. In that class. And I went, whoa, from from our first singles match. And I, and I was like, well, man. That's wow. pretty cool, huh? It, it was amazing. You know, it, it was one of those deals where, like, you get goosebumps when he says it to you, and you're standing in a dressing room in Chile after having just seen Hornswoggle <laughs> slide naked across the floor, you know, and it's, you know, it, it, I'll never forget it. And, and knowing a month later, okay, we got mania. That's our second opportunity to do this. And, and more than anything from that, I was like, okay, he trusts me. Yes. And getting that validation from, you know, the most respected guy in the locker room. It's like, okay, if he trusts me, that means the rest of you have to trust me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when you get the stamp of approval from the fawns of yeah. the dressing room, everybody else must follow. Yeah, and I, I did. I felt like Richie Cunningham. <laughs> <laughs> Who else comes to mind as, as guys that you love to work with? Uh, you know, I got, I got really lucky in that, you know, through the last 20 years, 
you name it, and I got four of them. Yeah. It's so, like, everybody, honestly, it's like, I loved working Jeff. You know, him and I had a chemistry and a fluidity yeah. that just it just worked together. Um, Matt, you know, had some of my best matches with Matt. Um, mm. You know, the, the Dudleys. Um, you uh, had a really good time frame, too, where you guys were, it was it was a SmackDown, maybe right before you got hurt, where it was you, Eddie, yeah. Chris, Mysterio, uh, maybe Kurt too, and maybe Ch- uh, Chavo, and you guys Kurt were constantly, Chavo. constantly like a Rubik's cube of combinations. But the matches were always, you guys worked each other for like five months straight. It seemed. Yeah, and it did. It was just a different combination, and, and Heyman was booking it and writing it, and he he like knew that he had this this these six guys here, and he had Brock and Taker over here, and it was like mad scientist okay yeah. what combination can i do and you know i remember having a fatal four-way in dallas and i had just torn my mcl or something and it was, it was an elimination it was eddie it was chris it was kurt and me mm-hmm. and it was just like oh man like oh. so yeah. the, you know those three guys uh, you know uh, jay uh you uh the, the angle you know cena yeah. mitch you can't go wrong there. I mean, it's just, it, it's, it really is a who's who of the last 20 sure, years. Sure, of course. Of the best workers, you know. And, and the thing that I always love working with you, and I'm, I know a lot of people feel the same way, is you always had a lot of ideas to put together a match. And that always made it a lot of fun, too, because you, you and I thought a lot alike where, okay, well, what did people know about your moves, and then how can we switch them around, you know, to make people take them on a little roller coaster ride. That was, I think you were very good psychologically as far as putting together a match that way. I remember, I forget who it was saying, it was like, uh, Pat, Christian, you and Jericho are like, and, and for whatever reason, <laughs> when it comes to false finishes and just kind of pulling the rug out and trying to take it on a, you know, a nice little roller coaster at the end. Um, right. It was, it was always fun. And a lot of times you'd end up, you know, as the guy in the match to think of that stuff. And I always loved being that guy, but it was really fun when you had another guy. Yes. It was a lot, it was a lot of pressure when you were the guy that had put together yourself, but it was fun, but it was always better when you had someone to bounce off of. Yeah. It's like, I picture like Lennon McCartney, like just Mm -hmm. trading like lyrics back and forth kind of thing. It's like, Oh, but what if we did this there? Oh yeah. And then I can do that there. And then so on and so forth. I, I agree. I was. I always felt the same way. I always actually compared that to to putting together a match is like writing a song, and that's one thing I always loved about working with Pat Patterson as an agent. If he gave me something that I didn't like, I wouldn't have to worry about somebody getting butt hurt and going back behind my back and burying me for being hard to work with. He would just yeah. go, well, "What do you think of this? Well, how about this? How about this?" And then next thing you know, you've got a great riff and a great song. You know, and that's yeah. the way it should be. Yeah, and and, and go oh. You know, and you just wide open to it. And some of the ideas that he had or, you know, or, or somebody just, you know, a little spark and then just taking it. That's all it is. And seeing what sticks. That's exactly right. But let, let's forward to, to towards the end of your career. How how hard was it? And I, I would assume that you probably knew it was coming because you mentioned you had a, a few major surgeries and they told you that you had damage in your neck and it would always be there. Was it completely a surprise to find out that your career was over when they told you that it was? Not a complete surprise, no. Mm. I had assumed I probably had another year, maybe another one after that, but after a long break. So, I, you know, to me, my drop dead was always 40. I was like, I'm, I'm done doing this by 40 because I want to be able to walk and, and 
pick up my children one day and and be able to throw a football with them and not not wonder am I gonna you know yeah my arm gonna go numb or you know just sure I I, I knew that there was far more important things coming in life and uh, I don't know when that shift happened but I, I really did put in perspective that okay this is a job it's an amazing gig I love it but it's coming to an end and you know I have to wrap my mind around the fact that it is coming to an end. And so it, it wasn't a complete shock because I felt the things happening in my body. Um, you know, I felt like my mind was firing on all cylinders and my body was just that nanosecond behind. Mm-hmm. And and that's why I can feel for a guy like Brett Favre a few years ago when he just, is he hanging on a little bit too long? But then you'll see that, you know, miraculous pass in the end zone with two seconds right. left. And yeah, so there's still those glimmers. The flashes of greatness are still there, but it's slowing down. It's just slowing down, right? So I knew it was coming to that. But I was working guys like Ziegler, and I was working Del Rio, or I was working, you know, Ray, which is a night off, you know? So I was like, okay, I'm helping these young guys that I like a lot, and we're having good matches, cool. I'm feeling weird. Like, it was was like my arm was trembling, and nobody knew except for Jay, because he was riding with me. And and I'd feel nauseous sometimes. Oh, wow, yeah. That's not right. Like, hmm, something's going on here. <sighs> okay, if I get through Mania, um, and then we go to the next one, Extreme Rules, the ladder match with Del Rio. I'll drop the title there because everyone expects me to drop it at Mania, classic. We won't go with what they expect. You'll drop it in your match. Okay. Um, right. And then I thought, I'll take a little break. I'll come back, finish up my contract, take another break, maybe come back for another year work some more young guys, and then ride off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. Um, after Mania, uh, they wanted me to get another set of MRIs. And I don't think I knew how serious they knew it was the night oh, of that. gotcha. Because, um, you know, Beth has since told me, Larry, our trainer, and the doctors were sitting at that monitor for my entire match. Like and, scared and to death that something might happen. Scared to death. Right. And I didn't know. You know, I just thought, hey, I passed the strength test. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. You know, I, I'm good to that ladder match, and, and then I'll take a little break, and I'll rest up, lick the wounds, and, uh, you know, throw a couple Band-Aids on, we'll be good to go. Right. And it, it, that was big for me. I really, you know, just whether it's work ethic or whatever it is, I just I wanted to see that contract through. I like working for what I'm getting paid for. I don't want to. Yeah, of course. You don't want to feel like you're quitting. But yeah, it's not me, you know. Right. But then, you know, they, they came back with the results and, and you know, um, we've done a TV in Charlotte. And I did commentary and, uh, you know, a lot of people think, you know, I hit Brodus with a spear on the floor that night. And I grabbed up my neck. Well, I felt the twinge, but that wasn't it. It was it was years and years of, of wrestling on top of a fusion. And, and my C4 was slamming off of the fusion from C5 to C7 for almost a decade. So every time you saw me take a Batista bomb, I lose feeling in my arms. Wow. You know, but I just figured, well, I got a plate in there. That makes sense. Well, it kind of did and it kind of didn't. What I was developing was spinal stenosis. So narrowing of the spinal cord, it chokes out your spinal cord. And eventually it gets to a point where there's so much pressure on it that you could get tapped from behind and it could sever your spinal cord. Wow. That's where mine was at. It was that bad, huh? Yeah. they, They showed it and explained it to me. And it was being pinched on both sides, so it looked mm. like a straw being pinched. Wow. And in the midst of that, 
I also bruise the spinal cord. So, you know, I have a bruise on my spinal cord for life now. That never goes away. They don't go away. And, you know, that's why I was feeling nauseous. That's why, you know, my arm was trembling as I'm sitting on planes or holding a book to read and it's shaking. And it's like, man, this person sitting next to me is going to think I'm a crack addict or something, you know. (laughs) I can't control it. Yeah. So, you know, when, when... Vince called me first, and I remember I just, you know, I, I was in my place up in the mountains, and I'm sitting on the deck, and he goes, I don't know how to tell you this, but you're done. Like, what? Yeah, your career's over. I, 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 this is the hardest call I've ever had to make, but your, your career's over. Hmm. And he said, call Dr. Maroon and let him explain, like, the exacts of it, but that's what they told me. And... Um, he he was very sweet about it. You know, I, I could tell it was it was tearing him up to have to call me with that. But I'm glad he was the one that called. Yeah, me. that's pretty cool, man. That's that's actually really cool. Yep. And and what it did do is it made retirement easier. Mm. When you when you knew you had no option, right? No option. Yeah. They're not allowing me to get back in there. Yeah. Like no matter what happens, there's no. Well, I got one more in me. It's like no. They, yes. There's just it that's not in the cards. And because I'd already been been kind of making that shift of, of life after anyway, it it wasn't a huge surprise. It wasn't a huge shock. Mm. I, I was in a place where I truly loved, you know, I was like, Okay, I got I got my home in the mountains. Yeah, I'm I'm happy. All right. I can't do it anymore. They're not gonna let me. I that's that's just it. I, I accomplished way more than I ever thought I was going to. And the thing that's cool about it too is, is like you said, it's done. It's almost you know the, the bandaid is ripped off, probably stung for a bit, but now it's done. And the cool thing is, it was before you were forty, so you had a whole other half of your life now that you can explore. Let's say it's acting or whatever you want to be a woodcutter, or lumberjack, or an antique dealer, or whatever the hell you want to do. Now you know for sure. It's not like you know. That's one thing. Not that you would have ever ended up this way. You were too big of a star. But there's so many guys that you see that are still hanging on and it's sad you know you guys are in their late 40s or 50s or even older and they look like crap and they move terrible but they got no other they got no other uh options you know and you had the chance to to move forward well it's interesting you know because i have gone to a couple of shows you know little indie shows that have been close by or you know somebody i know will be on or whatever and and i see that i go oh man i avoided that right i i was never in the position to where that was that was going to happen and, um, you know, it, it, uh, it's just, it's nice to kind of be on the other side and, and realize like, I don't have to sit down and weigh it out and mm-hmm, go, right. well, what if, what if it's like, no, it's, it's done. My last match was at WrestleMania. <laughs> and he retired as champion. You, yeah, <laughs> you selfish like, bastard. <laughs> you know, it's like, you, you know, if there's going to be a, a Cinderella story, I mean, Hey, what a way to go out on top, right? I had it. You know, I, yeah. I I cannot complain at all. It was like this crazy, amazing ride where I, I truly did grow up. I mm-hmm. became a man on TV, learning as I went, fumbling, picking it up, running some more, fumbling again, dusting myself off, and just now into this this next phase of my life where I can, because of going through all of that, I, I can really appreciate stuff now and try not to look past it and. You know, I do like going and looking at antiques and chopping wood and like walking the dogs. And drinking tea. And watching, drinking tea, exactly. And watching a sunset. I am so ecstatic to be able to do that stuff. 
and also have the freedom that the luxury, you know, the luxury that sure. the, the business afforded me to be able to do that. Let me ask you one last question. If gun to your head, what was your favorite match you ever had? Oh my gosh. Oh. Today at this moment. Main event against, against Taker. Yeah, I would say, you know, if you had to pick one, that's a pretty damn good one to have. For the world title at WrestleMania versus The Undertaker. The, the streak, all of it, you yeah. know, outside. Um, yeah. Do I think it was uh, yeah, best is subjective? You know, it's entertainment. Sure, so. sure, sure, of course. I mean, it, it depends what day it is of the week, right? Yeah. Most most monumental. Well, yeah. Edge, let me tell you, man, it's been great talking to you. And it's, uh, like I said earlier in the show, or yes, last week, Sometimes you don't talk to someone for a long time, but as soon as you get back together, it's like nothing ever changed. And it's, it's, you're always a good friend of mine, and it's, it's really cool to reconnect with you. And congratulations on everything before your career, during your career, and, and looking forward to the future as well. Thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, congratulations to you, Tim, man. It's, it's always fun to see you uh, out and, and breaking down different boundaries. <laughs> it's, uh, you well, know, I appreciate that, and it's funny because uh, when I started doing this podcast, it's a it's a very uh, influential company that that does this this show, and they said, you know, we'll help you book guests. Do you have a list? And then first on my list was Paul Stanley. I said, you get me Paul Stanley, I'll be happy for the rest of my life. And they said, we can do that. So we'll see if it happens. You'll be the first one I'll let know. Really quickly, I just got an email from Sign Guy. Forty five minutes of Paul Stanley banter. I got it too. He sent me the same one. Amazing. <laughs> if, if you lick me, I'll lick you. I mean, <laughs> I haven't checked that out yet. I'll have to check. That will be another, sh- a whole show. Paul Stanley banter. I'll have you come on. We'll talk about that. Ridiculous. <laughs> Thank you so much, Adam. All right. Thanks, Chris. Take care, brother. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This, this is Talk is Jericho. Thanks so much to Edge for being on the show. What a great conversation. So much fun to reconnect with him. Uh, and remember, I just want to thank you for, for listening to it. I hope you got a lot out of it. I know I sure did. Remember, we also like your support on this show. We thank you for listening to us at podcastone.com and also for clicking on the Talk is Jericho page and then clicking on that Amazon button. You know why? You know why? Because every time you link to Amazon through my page and do some shopping, Amazon kicks money back to me so that I can keep this show on the air for you for free. It's not going to cost you more to shop. You won't be paying any extra fees or anything. It's just a way that I can keep the lights on, keep the power supply pumping, 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 so that I can keep doing this show for you for free. Please click on the Amazon button anytime. You need to buy something online? Do it. Click on the Amazon button. You need to buy uh, a new record? a new CD, a book, click on the Amazon button. You can bookmark it, actually. Just go to podcastone.com. Click on Talk is Jericho, and the Amazon button is right there waiting, saying, hi, use me, use me. Thank you to everybody who listened to the show today. Here we go. At Talk is Jericho. Do you have a question? I hope you do, because I can answer them. What are your opinions on Miley Cyrus, and can you twerk, asks at Metal Empress. I cannot twerk. 
I cannot tell a lie. Miley Cyrus, I think she's a genius. I think she's been very smart in articulating her career to be the most controversial, a.k.a. most talked about star in the world today, or one of them at least. She's making that jump from teen star to legitimate money-making, massive, massive performer. So, yeah, she's doing some controversial things. I think she's done a great job, and even though I don't think she's all that hot, I still think that she has very much orchestrated everybody into talking about Miley Cyrus, similar to how we're talking about her right now. Similar how I'm talking about you, saying thank you so much for joining me on Talk is Jericho this week. We'll see you next week. Same bad time, same bad place. Stay hungry, stay cool, stay heavy. God bless you all. Good night. We love you. Thanks for listening to Talk is Jericho. Don't forget, every Wednesday there's a brand new episode of Talk is Jericho at podcastone.com.